This is Top Floor, episode 18. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 18. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Many hospitality professionals start their careers bussing tables in restaurants or carrying bags in hotels. This was not the case for Michael Tompkins, one of three men in his nursing school class. Michael spent 13 years as a nurse and administrator before leaving healthcare to serve as nursing director for Canyon Ranch in the Berkshires. Michael combined his wellness expertise with hospitality know-how in roles as vice president of hotel and spa at Turning Stone and CEO of Miraval Resorts. In 2016, Michael joined Hutchinson Consulting, which offers hospitality recruiting, operations, and marketing help. He acquired the company with business partner Carol Stratford two years later. Hutchinson's recently released Wage Insight Survey uncovered some surprising trends in hospitality compensation. So today, Michael and I are going to talk about how hotel companies can use the data to better retain their talent. But first, we are going to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. If you'd like to submit a question, you can give me a call at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Randall. Randall is a front office manager. And Randall's question is... How can I turn my eight years of hotel experience into a spa resort career? What skills do I need to market myself in wellness? Well, I think this is right up your alley, Michael. What do you think? You know, I think the best thing is for Randall to look at his resume and make sure that his resume is geared toward a background of health and wellness. And even within the hospitality realm that he's been in. You know, what are the extracurricular things that he's done? What has he volunteered for? What is his like? So, you know, is he into fitness or is he into nutrition? And make sure that those are incorporated into his resume. The other thing to do is to go on LinkedIn or H Careers or Indeed and look at a job description of a position he would really like to have. And then print out two or three or four of them and circle the key words that might be found in any of those job descriptions. And then what I would do if I was Randall would be to redo his resume to gear it with those keywords in the resume itself. And when you send those in to your prospective employer, make sure that you do not send it in in a PDF form. Send it in on a .doc or a Word document because the text cannot be read from a PDF on an HR IS system that most hospitality users have now. So once he sends that in with those keywords that are on the resume, 
it should trigger a call or a letter, you know, requesting an interview as opposed to a denial letter because it doesn't have any of the keywords on it. Good luck, Randall. (laughs) That's great advice. The only thing I would add, and maybe this is an additional question for you, Michael, is do you think that some of the soft skills hoteliers have to develop, like for example, empathy or problem solving? Are those worth highlighting if you want to make a shift from one segment of the business to the other? Yes, I think that is definitely worth highlighting. And anything that sort of resonates with the brand that you're applying for that has a purpose to it, like a greater mission to you know, just the hotel or spa background or, or things that, that somebody wants to get involved in. I think, you know, having a greater purpose is part of the spa realms, you know, what they look for when they're hiring people. That's interesting. So at a time when many hotel professionals are exploring careers in senior living and sort of other healthcare adjacent businesses, people keep talking about how hospitality skills translate into healthcare. I know you took the opposite route and moved from healthcare into hospitality. What skills do you think are needed or mandatory in both? I think both healthcare and hospitality, you know, both traditionally have the the root of, you know, hospital in them, whether it's working in a hospital entity itself or within a hospitality, you know, point building like a like a, a hotel. And, you know, if you look at the word hospital, it means to, you know, take care of people. And I think that's the number one skill set that we have to remember is that taking care of people is something that both industries need in big ways. You also mentioned empathy, um, which is part of taking care of people. And I think that, you know, when people look at what resonates with them from a, a brand perspective, I always said when I was CEO of hotels, you know, there are three different aspects that you need to think about when you are in the hospitality field. And the first is my company. The second is my team. And the third is me. And so there's very few people that often think of their company first. And, you know, the ones that are, are great employees. But you have to remember, if your company isn't thriving, then it's going to be very difficult for your team and you to thrive individually in working at that location when you see that somebody's stressed. Or take time to just listen to somebody about their frustrations. Because a strong team is going to build that stronger unit. And then third is you. What you need individually, whether it's compensation or benefits, whether it's support among your team members, whether it is things that you need that for your family that you're affected by with your, your work. And so, you know, making sure the first two are strong gives you a greater chance at elevating yourself within that employment opportunity. So I always say having the ability to take care of others in that three-step model is critical. Absolutely agree. You were given 
administrative leadership responsibilities very soon after graduating from nursing school, despite I think you saying that you didn't have much experience on the leadership side. I see such a parallel here with what hotel teams have dealt with over the last couple of years. You know, so many hotel supervisors, managers, hourly staff have been forced into roles for which they had no training because they were short staffed during the pandemic. How do you think that faking it until you make it helps with career development? And also, how does it hurt? Well, you know, I'm going to start with the how does it hurt? It, it hurts through uh, having stressors put on the individual employee. When I think about where we're taxed in hospitality now, it is certainly a shortage in the HR area itself. Human resource professionals are being taxed with not just, you know, doing their normal job, but, you know, trying to figure out how to hire when, you know, people are skeptical about going back and then how to bring them on board and then how to train them all from outside of the traditional hotel space. And so proper training has not necessarily been given. And I think that hurts our industry when we look at things like taking care of others and providing a great experience, particularly when hotel rates are at their highest now. Mm -hmm. On a positive note, that cross-training can make you a very valued candidate for potential employers or for your current employer if you're dedicated enough to say, you know, I work behind the front desk, but I've pitched in in, let's say, food and beverage, or I've pitched in in housekeeping. But what you want to make sure is that even if your job title didn't change and your primary role didn't change, you learned additional skills. And what I always tell people is when you do these things, make sure that they're on your resume of what role you helped with and what did you learn. And the key is what did you learn? Because that's the skill set that's going to be transferable to a new job. I think it's so important too for people to be able to not just demonstrate experiences and things, skills that they've learned, but also tell the story of their career journey, uh, both through their resume and sort of in a conversation. You know, don't you think if I were to write down, I worked at the front desk and pitched in clearing room service trays, stripping rooms you know, folding laundry, whatever. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting. But if I were to tell the story of how I learned that hotel leadership is about being there and being willing to do the thing that needs to be done in the moment, it's a very different thing to communicate. I agree. And especially when you're being asked questions in an interview. If you're being asked to give an example of something that you have in your department that was a challenge to you, if you want to talk about your skill sets of what you've learned, transferring to other departments, for example, in your answer, you should bring up something that happened that you were successful in making that happen in a different area. If you're telling the story, like you said, it's much more impactful than just reading it on a piece of paper. 
Well, we, you talked a lot about training. In addition to being a seasoned C-suite executive, you have a lot of training in therapies that might come as a surprise to our listeners. Can you describe a couple of the wellness practices that you've learned over the years and maybe a little about how they inform your leadership style or your approach to the workplace? Meditation for me, particularly when I became a CEO of hotel chains, it was an opportunity for me to step outside the day-to-day tasks and the stressors of everything that you were going to on a normal given day and any normal given day to be able to pull back from an umbrella perspective and have a different mindset so that you can think of the greater picture. And also, when you're in situations that are stressful, an angry guest, for example, an upset employee, I used to do it a little exercise of, you know, and if you can visualize this, your index finger points to the future, your thumb points to the past. If you connect the tip of your index finger with the tip of your thumb, it sort of creates that okay, that round circle there, and this is the here and now. And so if you, meditate and you entrain yourself to hold your fingers in that circular motion of the index finger and your thumb, and you just put those together, as you entrain your meditative uh, practice, all you really have to do is put those two fingers together in any stressful situation off to the side, you know, where people can't even see it in a pocket, for example, but it's going to lower your heart rate. It's going to lower your breath and your respirations, and it's going to give you the practice of being in the here and now. Oh, that's so great. That's such a simple thing and easy to remember, but powerful. And it works. And, and you know, what I, what I also think is when you have that ability, it creates, you know, a second thing like uh, active listening. And with active listening, it's not just shaking your head yes and agreeing. It is doing things beyond that, like repeating back. I hear what you've just said to me. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you are upset because, and then say why. And confirm that with the guest or the employee. And that says, I'm taking the time to listen to you. Also, I think practicing active gratitude. I know one of the best things that I ever did for my staff um, when I was managing them was if I saw that they did something good, even something really minor, but was impactful on a guest experience or another employee experience, not necessarily on me, I took the time to sit down and write them a personal note and leave it in their work mailbox or make sure that it got to their boss um, or their manager to you know, give it to them. And I wrote out why I appreciated what they did uh, and how that helped our company. And I think people like to receive active gratitude messages, particularly from management. It's probably the best way to build a culture of we, not me. Excellent and 100% true. You and I connected because I read the results of Hutchinson's annual wage insight survey. Can you describe the survey and why you conduct it? Absolutely. So Hutchinson's been conducting an annual wage and salary survey for more than 20 years. We send out the survey randomly. So each hotel is assigned a random number. It doesn't come from Hutchinson. 
It comes from a third-party, independent, secure company that assigns an individual identifier to the property. It goes to the human resource director. The human resource director fills out all of the information, the salary, the wages, the benefits, the bonus incentives, all of that. And then once they finish the entire document, they send that back to the security firm that sent them their unique identifier. That goes into the system. And then what it does is the computer generates an overall perspective of here's the information we have. We have the median salary amount for every position, but then we have the low quartile and the high quartile and the lowest salary paid or wage paid and the highest salary wage paid. So it goes lowest, low quartile, median, high quartile, highest. The median basically says this is what people are paying in a four and five star hotel or resort in a particular area. And what you can do is you can you then get the, the overall results and you get a listing of every hotel or resort that has participated. And when I say you, I'm talking about the human resource director. Right. And the human resource director works with their general manager to pick a comp set. And so by law, we have to provide five choices. And so the HRD would then pick five properties they would like to compare their property to and sends in sends back to our security firm, a security firm, not ours. Uh, it's a third party, mm-hmm. and and they then take the data and send it back to the HRD of the comp sets without an identifier. That there, you know, there's no names that are attached. It's very anonymous. We also have the the all data certified by a third party CPA, and so in the end. We only have the oh, Hutchinson only has the data of the co- the compilation data. So you know if we're doing a search for someone and we know that a position typically pays sixty thousand dollars a year, and the hotel looking to fill a position says to me we're paying forty, I can say to them you're under market. That's why you're not getting anybody who's applying. Gotcha. To me, one of the most eye opening things about your findings was the fact that total compensation for hotel executives and general managers fell between 20 and 30% versus 2019. Even mid-level managers fell between 10 and 20%. So, you know, I know hotel teams were asked to take pay cuts in 2020, but I guess I was under the impression that the fact that we're reading a headline about the hospitality talent shortages every single day in a publication would have created you know growth and and these folks being made whole in terms of their compensation can you talk a little bit about what's going on here and what you think it means absolutely you know it was a surprise to us as well we did think that people would be taking a cut we didn't realize that the top tiers would be taking you know, many of them 30% cuts. But ultimately, I believe that people took those because they were they remained employed. So during the pandemic, when a lot of people were let go, there were some that remained on, but they said, listen, you know, our hotel isn't open. You know, however, we're, we're going to keep you as a key staff member, but you're going to take a pay cut of anywhere between 20 and 30%. Some actually as high as 50%. Wow. And then when the doors reopened, the wages didn't go up 
automatically. And so that's what we were seeing in the results in September, which actually came from August. You know, you have to remember in some of the California properties, they didn't even reopen until June. They weren't allowed in many cases to reopen until June or early July. Mm -hmm. And so there were some properties who, you know, were just opening as as they were reporting. But what we found is that people now, and when I say now, I'm talking October to December, are doing what I what I would call strategic salary or wage increases. And so immediately, the, ver- the first thing that was done as people reopened was that they were looking at increasing the line level staff. And so right away, they gave more money to try to get people to be those front desk attendants to try to be those housekeepers that they needed in place as they ramped back up when people weren't coming back. Now what they're doing is they were looking strategically at who they wanted to keep. So what they're doing is they're looking at, oh, this food director of food and beverage or this uh, executive sous chef or whatever, we can't lose this person. And so they're strategically increasing rather than saying, okay, Across the board, we're doing a 3.5% raise. And, you know, because you're an outstanding employee, you're getting a 5% raise. They're not doing that yet. What we're also told now, and we're, we're seeing as we're posting our jobs that are coming available from our clients, is that they're increasing wages and salaries in the new positions that they're posting. So I would anticipate 2022 being a big year for increases in hotel salaries and wages. Interesting. I know you've said before that unrealistic expectations around hours and work-life balance, in addition to the pay and benefits compensation issue, um, that that those hours and work-life balance issues are hurting companies now more than ever. Can What do you think our industry will learn? Will our industry learn from the great resignation and, and this whole, hey, maybe we don't want to be required to work 16-hour days every day kind of deal? Well, you know, at Hutchinson Consulting, we've actually had employers call us when they are replacing or having to find a new general manager. And they're saying, we don't want the old school hotelier where you're expected to be at a job 16 hours a day or 15 hours a day or 12 hours a day. And, you know, that you work all day long and then you have a big event going on in the evening. So you're going to work all evening too. And you're short staffed. So it's going to be six days a week. They're looking for general managers who believe in that work-life balance. So what I think that we're going to learn from the great resignation is flexible scheduling. And that's happening now in a lot of hotels currently. The second is more present leadership. And that is the people who have been hands-on continue to be hands-on. I know that at some, you know, five-star hotels where there's a managing director, you know, you never see them walking the hotel with their staff, et cetera. It's always, oh, they're doing, they're, they're at the corporate office today. They're... And an owner's meeting. <laughs> exactly. Now, I think there, everybody is looking for a present leader. And that, I think, is to help change that culture that we spoke of earlier. And then the third thing I, that I think that we're going to see and we're going to learn from the great resignation is the importance of women in hospitality. 
the importance of having the female presence and how much work women have actually done for hospitality. And yet we haven't necessarily met what they need. And so I think that we're going to see a great shift in how we treat women at work in hotels and are more open to things like the flexible scheduling that I talked about. My understanding is that a a significant portion of that sort of at-risk, mid-management level in hospitality is, you all believe that to be comprised of women. As hotel companies look ahead, are there one or two things that they can put highest on the priority list to help retain mid-management women? Yes. So, and I'll and I'll use an actual statistic from you know hotels in 2021 when they did a survey, a large survey around mid-level management positions of females. 87% of those females in 2021 said that they were going to stay at their current job over the next year. At the end of this year, for 2022, 66% say that they're going to stay. So you're now losing one-third of all mid-level management women, or they have in their mindset that they're going to be leaving. And so that's a great deal of people. That's a huge chunk of our staffing. And so the two things I think that will change the exodus of women from our industry or from leaving a position is flexibility and scheduling. You know, many women come to work, they may be single moms, but even if they're not single moms, the woman in the traditional home does everything. They work at home, they do everything for their family, and they then go to work to, you know, help support the income coming in. And so they're, they've been doing for decades, let's, I mean, let's face it, this is the truth, they've been doing for decades two jobs. And so saying that I'm going to miss a Christmas pageant that my third grader is in because, you know, I have to work today, it's going to change. And that is hotels are going to be more receptive to saying you can have off from 11 to 2 to attend your child's Christmas auditorium event, you know, to go and see the, the Christmas pageant or whatever it might be. I think that hotels are going to be much more flexible uh, for scheduling for women, right down to individual things like that or outside community events, school events, all of those sorts of things. And then the second thing, obviously, is childcare. Childcare is top on the list for women uh, in being able to work um, and be able to work effectively without having to worry about, you know, where their kid is, who is going to pick up their child from daycare, who's going to get them there, you know, how are they going to pay for that, all of those sorts of things. Right. Is the expense of it going to wipe out all your earnings? That's a, that was a huge thing that came up over the pandemic, right? Exactly. And so what I think we're going to see is I think we're going to see childcare coming into the hotel setting. And I, I'm all for that. I think anything that we can do to alleviate the additional stressors of our female staff is very important. I could not agree more. This leads me to a general question that probably has some similar answers, which is their burnout is rampant right now. 
among women, among men, among none of the above, among everyone who has spent the last two years in the hotel industry and in hospitality, burnout is rampant. So what do you think are some things that leaders can do to ease that burnout and sort of reset or ready themselves for what we hope will be an even further resurgence of travel and occupancy demand, et cetera? I think the pandemic and COVID times uh, when people were home and were quarantined and were with their families and not at work every day had them reevaluating what's important in their lives. And obviously that family comes first. I think the second piece of it is, is that they realized that, you know, they could live with less money. And, and then the third thing was that the work is going to come second. It really created a shift in the employment base. We're seeing that with the Great Recession, but we're seeing that in all areas across the board of every sector of employment where people are rethinking because they may have come up with an idea and become more entrepreneurial. So, for example, a sous chef position is a very highly sought after position in hotels right now. Many sous chefs switched industries. Some of them started to do home um, culinary uh, catering things. Some of them created, you know, dine-arounds on their own where they realized they could make the same amount of money and not have to go to work and punch a clock every day where they could still work from home. And so one of the things that we're seeing across the board is that people are looking for the story. The story that you mentioned when we first started this conversation today, where is a place that I can go to that has a purpose-driven role? What is a higher purpose than just being an employee? How does this company resonate with me? What are the values that they have? What is their mission? What is the vision of what they want to do and be, not just for you know them as a company, not just for their guests that they have coming through the door, but for their employees? What are they doing for me that's speaking to a purpose-driven company? And that is what Every industry is seeing. So if you don't have a story right now and you're an HR professional, you need to get with whoever's running your company and come up with something that's going to drive people to want to work for you. And I can tell you right now, it's not money and it's it's not your brand name. Lots of times, high-end brands, and you know them as well as I do, so I don't even have to mention the names here, just to be able to work there used to be like a feather in your cap. Like when I first started out, I knew that, you know, if I was going to be in hospitality, I really want, and and in luxury hospitality, you know, specifically, I really had to get into a certain level of hotel to be able to climb the career ladder in luxury hospitality. Now, employees don't care about luxury (laughs) hospitality. They They care about what is, that luxury hotel going to do for me? What are they doing for the greater good? What are they doing for their guests? And how does it all tie together? And so purpose-driven roles, I think, is going to help to ease the burnout for sure. I think you're absolutely right. And you know, we've talked before about the fact that everything in hospitality is marketing. And this is the perfect example of that. Having the story to market yourself to talent makes all the difference in the world. Okay, Michael, we're going to pull out your crystal ball, look ahead, 
make some predictions and do some magic. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the business model of hotels, what would it be? A faster onboarding process. So what we're seeing when we are uh, interviewing candidates for positions and we're presenting them to hotels and resorts, if the process takes three weeks to get through human resources, to get to the department head, to get to the general manager or whoever it's going to take to get these positions filled, the candidate is going to have three to five other offers within one week. Wow. And they're not going to wait three weeks for you. And this is across the board in every position. So when we did a survey, if the hiring process took longer than five days, the candidate was already set with another position in their mind. And so the onboarding process is really stuck in the mud for hotels. Virtual interviews, Zoom interviews should be happening all the time now. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a human resource professional who wants to have one day or two days a week at home can onboard quicker from doing virtual interviews via the computer at home, one after another after another, that could help this process of a faster onboarding happen. And so I think that, that that's definitely the one thing that I would say hotels need to do because the ones that are dragging their feet are losing their candidates. And then, you know, they'll come back to us three weeks into this process and they, they'll say, oh my gosh, we have to have Danielle. We, we interviewed Danielle three weeks ago. And then we say to them, oh, sorry, Danielle has had five other options and she's actually <laughs> choosing somebody else. And then they say, no, we want Danielle. And, I'm, and, and we, we go back and we say, listen, she's chosen somebody else because you've taken too long. And they don't want to hear it, but that's the absolute truth. And it's the absolute truth, I would say, in 90% of the candidates that we're, we're presenting to hotels today. I think you're absolutely right. What's that old saying? Speed kills. It's the honest to God truth. Okay, so crystal ball time. Looking ahead... What's one prediction you have for the future of our business? I think uh, leveraging technology. Using technology for every aspect you can think of, whether that's marketing and how you're getting people in, whether that's a digital system and how you're getting candidates to apply. Um, what I mean, I, we just went to a hotel in, in, in France where I walked in, I checked myself into the room with a kiosk just by touching my name. There was a stack of cards where you could get your own key to your room. You could put in what time you wanted your housekeeping to come the next morning. And everything was digital. Now, when I say digital technology, great. And then you say, well, does that alleviate jobs? No. There was somebody there around this circular table where people were checking in that if you had a question would come over immediately and help and show you how to do it. It was the fastest check-in process that I've ever had. I knew when my housekeeper was going to show up to the room. I love that. I actually loved it. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of this bespoke experience because of the benefits of technology. Whether that's in the hiring process, whether that's in the guest experience, uh, whether that's in operations. And it's time now for us to embrace that. 
There's a key component that you mentioned that I think is missing from a lot of the conversation about tech and hotels. And that is that the technology innovation cannot just be to the benefit of the operator. If there is not a commensurate benefit to the guest, the guest is not going to adopt. And so in your case, being able to select the time that your room was cleaned was your benefit. And the speed with which you could get up was your benefit. Whereas when we talk about it, typically it's like, oh, it'll help us cut FTEs by 9.7% or whatever. That doesn't ring true for us. What do you think? I think you're dead on. If it doesn't affect our guests in a positive way, then it's not going to be adopted in uh, a successful experience for anyone. Agree. So what is next for you and what's next for Hutchinson Consulting? Well, I'm excited to say that we have come back in a very strong way, not just in recruiting, but also in um, marketing and consulting. And so we have a number of new building projects. And when I say number, I'm talking almost a dozen. So our consulting team is building, you know, very bespoke retreats, helping reposition hotel brands, building new hotels, uh, building new spas wellness centers. Um, We haven't had this many projects on our board probably in three years. And so it's nice to see that we're hiring. We're excited about the projects that we have chosen and who have chosen us. And, you know, I'm really excited that our industry is back to growth. That's wonderful news. Okay, folks, before we tell Michael goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Michael, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? Oh, I have a, I have one that I call, you know, for hospitality people, it's the power of a wow experience. My partner and I went on vacation to Acapulco probably 20 years ago, and we went to a restaurant that was down on the waterfront, and a waiter came over, and I said to the waiter, is the fish fresh here? And he said, oh, is the, you want fresh fish? And I was like, yes. He says, oh, yes, our, our fish is fresh. I'll show you. And he was in like a, a uniform, and, and it was very formal. Mm-hmm. And he took off his shirt. What? He took off his pants. <laughs> he took off his pants. He climbed over the railing where the table was that we were no sitting. No way. Walked across the rocks. Yes, walked across the rocks, picked up a stick, and dove into the ocean. Holy! And three minutes later, he comes back up with a fish flopping on the end of that stick. Oh, wow. Walked back across the rocks, up over the railing, and came to my table and said, is this fresh <laughs> fish fresh enough? I'll have the chef prepare. That is insane. So it was like a spear fishing spear? It was, it was like just a regular stick. Oh, my God. And he just like picked up a stick and went under the water and came back. And the fish was delightful. But that is a hospitality wow experience that we can make. Now, you, you, we all aren't oceanfront and we all aren't people who are used to stick fishing. But trust me, we all have things that we can do on any given basis that provide 
the power of the wow experience from hospitality. It's why I got into this industry. It's why you got into this industry. It's about changing people's lives, even if you only have one night or one day or one moment. That's what hospitality is about. I could not agree more. Michael Tompkins, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners got some food for thought and great ideas. And I really appreciate you riding to the top floor with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on top floor and appreciate the time you spent. Thank you. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 18. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.